0: You're listening to Bill Handel, On Demand from KFI AM640. And uh, good morning, Uh, Handel here. KFI AM640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. It is uh, Monday morning, uh, March 6th, and boy, it is cold. And San Bernardino residents still, a lot of them are still trapped, very frustrated, as uh, rescue crews and uh, the snowplows, et cetera, are still having a hard time getting too many of them. And if you happen to own a Tesla, a Y model, Tesla is recalling 3,500 model Y cars uh, for a defect that could cause uh, seatbelts not to work properly in a crash. So for those of you that have been tossed uh, from the car through a window because of a crash, please call us because I'd love to interview you. Yesterday, Ron DeSantis was in Simi Valley at the Reagan Library and he gave a speech. Now, this is for a guy who has not yet announced but will announce and is certainly running for governor one of the obligatory stops because, well, California politically does nothing to help Ron DeSantis or any other Republican because we're such a blue state. You'll, You'll never see national... Uh, you'll never see uh, national campaigns here, uh, where uh, you have presidential candidates spending money in California. It's just not going to happen during races because it's uh, it's a given that the state is going to go all Democrat. So why do they come here? Why was Ron DeSantis here? Two reasons. Reason number one, actually three reasons. Reason number one, uh, a chance and uh, more than a chance to raise a pile of money. Reason number two. Uh, more than a chance to raise a pile of money. And reason number three is to just knowing he's going to get national coverage, which he did. And as far as the money is concerned, since he has not yet announced, uh, he de- he's not collecting money. He doesn't have, uh, I, I don't even know if he has an exploratory committee. I'm assuming he does. But he does not yet have a presidential committee where uh, a campaign committee that's uh, starting to move. Of course, it's all in the works. I'm sure, behind uh, the scenes he does. So yesterday was a purely political speech. And then there were a couple of fundraisers for the Republican Party that he attended. And he did his obligatory, as all candidates do, you write a book and you go out and you pitch your book. I think uh, Clinton did that. Hillary Clinton did that. Uh, Barack Obama did that. You've got to write the book. And then off you go and you tout the book. And that's exactly what happened yesterday with Ron DeSantis. He was the keynote, or actually he was the only speech giver at uh, this talk that he gave in front of the Republicans. About 1,000 people were there, maybe 1,100, uh, obviously handpicked. Uh, a lot of them were high-end Republican donors, although they weren't being asked for money other than for the party. And uh, he just did a little bit of schmoozing privately, not with the audience, but a couple of private affairs. And what did he do? And, of course, we knew he was going to do that. Well, he's touting his run as governor. His, His campaign is going to be based on what he did as governor. Remember Bill Clinton? Look what he did in Arkansas. Remember, he brought the jobs to Arkansas. Uh, He's the one that brought Arkansas into uh, financial stability. Well, that's exactly what Ron DeSantis is doing. Look at Florida. Look what I have done. But beyond that, what he really talked about was the basic philosophical difference where Bill Clinton talked about financial stability and uh, he talked about this new era of success and prosperity. DeSantis is talking uh, about as much as what's wrong with California, because we're, of course, a liberal state. What's wrong with liberals, Democrats in general, and laying out the political differences. And this is where it's clear cut. When we talk about the polarization of this country, even to the point where you have a Ron DeSantis. Now, Ron DeSantis, of course, is not calling for any kind of violence. What he is laying out is simply the political polarization, which is 100 percent legitimate. That's what makes America so great. You've got people on both sides And as long as there isn't violence or as long as there aren't outright lies. And uh, yesterday, listening to what DeSantis had to say, he was simply a politician, a very conservative politician, making his conservative spiel. Uh, And actually, it's America the way we should know America. Uh, You didn't see there was an attack on Newsom, but it was sort of just chiding him a little bit. It wasn't an outright, uh, you are horrible, look how you're destroying America, destroying California. I mean, there was a lot of that, but we're talking about philosophy here. We're talking about political views. He pitted Florida with California, and in Ron DeSantis' view, California has lost in a big way. He said, quote, we have had a great experiment, a great test in governance philosophies. He was talking about Florida The American people have voted with their feet. And if you look over the last four years, we've witnessed a great American exodus from states governed by leftist politicians imposing uh, leftist ideology and delivering poor results. Well, I mean, that's not necessarily true. Certainly it is in California, and a ton of Californians have moved to Texas And he is talking about how miserable California is in terms of philosophy, in terms of its liberalism. Sort of forgot to mention that it's the housing crisis that is probably number one in terms of people bailing out of here. No one can afford housing anymore unless you've already been there. So uh, he laid on the statistics comparing Florida, the Florida's record on education, business creation, tourism, unemployment. And as he said, uh, DeSantis, uh, my state, uh, the results speak for themselves. And that's comparing California and New York, for example, with Florida. Now, Florida is doing fairly well. Uh, California, the economy, well, that's doing fairly well too. So the point is, uh, we're not talking about, for example, uh, the growth of California. We've become the fifth largest economy on the planet, moving from six to five, having been fifth, then moving into sixth, and then going back to fifth. I mean, our economy is doing really well. And Florida, is it doing better? Well, you can do anything with statistics, Uh, always. Statistics are, what does someone say? Statistics are lies. Uh, and even worse than that, there are damn lies. So during a speech, he touts his record on education, as I said, including the restrictions on classroom discussion of gender identity among young students. That is a very big deal that has national implications. This is where California and Florida are so diametrically opposed. For example, Florida and DeSantis was pitching that, the don't say gay law, in which even recognition of gender identity, LGBTQ rights, even the existence of LGBTQ people cannot be mentioned in schools from kindergarten to third grade. There's an argument on both sides on that one. Uh, do you want your kindergartner to know? Uh, I do that. There's LGBTQ people out there uh, that uh, there is a gender identity issue Uh, Some people uh, who uh, are put in the wrong bodies and therefore a male thinks uh, that she is a female. Uh, Yeah, I don't know, third grader. I mean, it's legitimate. After fourth grade, you can do whatever the hell you want in terms of that. So, I I mean, that's a legitimate argument. It's not a crazy argument. But it's an argument. Conservatives versus liberals on that one. Uh, Banning critical race theory. I mean, that's just crazy stuff. First of all, I don't know of any school or school district that, in fact, teaches critical race theory. I mean, that's uh, it's a red herring. Well, you can't teach critical race theory that somehow life has to be seen through racist eyes uh, because we were a bunch of racists before, and therefore we want to get away from that view of life. And that's not taught, but that is uh, just one of the mantras of the far right. Limiting tenure perfect, uh, protection for universities' pro- professors. I got to tell you, I don't have a problem with that. University professors uh, are can be insane. There is no limit to what they can say. Once a professor has tenure, and I've had some crazy ten- uh, professors when I was in school. I mean, to the point where I thought they should have been in straight jackets and thrown uh, out of the classroom. And the vast majority of university professors are so insanely left-wing, and they are. It, it, but think about this. It makes a lot of sense. When I was uh, looking at this article, I was thinking, okay, why are uh, professors so left-wing? Well, because when we're in college as students, we're left-wing. That's who we are. We don't have jobs. We're going to school. We want uh, entitled uh People, uh, you know, you should help us. You should pay our education. And then we often said, you're a super liberal when you're in college. Uh, You're even a socialist when you're in college. Wait till you go out there and start earning a living. See uh, how socialist you are. And for some reason, and I'm not talking about the business or the sciences. I'm talking about political science, sociology professors. I got to tell you, there's no limit to the majority of what they are, unless you go to Brigham Young University then there's not a problem. But I, I think tenure for professors, that kind of protection is crazy because they say some weird things. There has to be some limitation. And the limitation should be, it's it's the left-wing stuff that really goes crazy. All right, so you've got uh, university professors, tenure, increase, increasing school choice options, uh, I don't even know what that means. Uh, does that mean that the Board of Education, does that mean that uh, Department of Education should in- increase uh, whatever is allowed and should be taught? I don't even know what that means. And he said, we're not going to teach our students to hate this, his, uh, hate this country or hate each other. Well, I don't know. I think a lot of uh, far-right people really hate America the way I see it. They hate the way America is going, and they hate it. A lot of people on the far left hate this country because it's going in the wrong direction. And then, of course, everybody hates everybody else. The far right hates the far left. Uh, The sort of middle right just doesn't like the middle left. And as far as the moderates on both sides, they don't exist. So that becomes easy. Uh, He also talked about uh, we're not going to divide students on the basis of skin color. Now, that is a reversal of what a lot of liberals were saying. His argument of not dividing skin color is not giving minorities uh, the upper hand or not giving minorities uh, a bigger shake, a bigger benefit. This is where liberals and, of course, conservatives differ. Uh, liberals say minorities have been treated so poorly, which they have. What we have to do uh, is not level the playing field, but affirmative action. We have to increase the playing field to give minorities a chance to uh, literally live in society the way the rest of us, uh, the successful Caucasians are. And what they're saying is, hey, wait a minute. He's saying, wait a minute. You know, we're all the same. You can't discriminate. Although there's been such a history of discrimination. Bottom line, it's a philosophical difference. We had clear-cut, super conservative. Might he get the nomination? Yes. And he ripped into Newsom. He ripped into Newsom, and Newsom came back with uh, saying, uh, just look at the data when he talked about how Cal- Sanders talked about how California is horrible. California residents are safer, healthier, more prosperous than those unfortunate enough to have you as their governor. It became uh, pretty personal. And he ends with, oh, by the way, you're going to get smoked by Trump. I love that. That's when politics gets fun. We need more of that, for sure. Now, a story that just broke uh, a couple of days ago, and it had to do with a state grant of $4 million to the Orange County Public Defender's Office. And, um... Some people are a little bit upset about that, and there was a story in the Orange County Register uh, about how um, Todd Spitzer, friend who's been around for many years uh, and is the Orange County DA, uh, is not particularly happy with this. So, uh, Todd, and by the way, when I mentioned you were crazy, crazy about this, okay, not crazy in general, which I have no problem telling you, but uh, certainly just upset about this one. So, Todd, let's talk about this. Why are you so upset?
1: Well, Bill, let me ask you two questions, and good morning. Um, I want to know if you personally feel safer as a Los Angeles resident. Do you feel safer today in California, and are you safer? I have two questions, really fair ones.
0: Yeah, no and no.
1: Okay, so let me start with that premise and explain what's going on. The $4 million grant for Orange County is really a sideshow. It's $150 million statewide that the legislature is only giving to defenders of criminals for resentencing through these liberal policies of early release of prisoners. In other words, you know I'm an expert, right, Bill? You know when I was in the legislature, I chaired the prison committee during Schwarzenegger's administration when we had a three-judge panel ordering us to relieve overcrowding. And so this has been going on since the mid-2000s. But what's happened is— the need to release prisoners because of overcrowding has now meshed in California with a philosophy, a liberal philosophy of closing prisons and releasing people early. So let me, as you know, and you say this all the time on Handle of the Law, who and we learn this, and you and Wayne talk about it all the time. We know as lawyers, the person that has the, the burden of proof generally loses. And what this does, Bill, is the public defenders have 24, in Orange County alone, 24 full-time employees against my zero-funded employees. I get no money. All they have to do is make a prima facie case bill under these new laws that allow for more credits for getting out early, changes in state law. I'll get to one in particular if I have time. And it then shifts the burden once they make a prima facie case to me to prove then and have to go back and recreate the file, the transcripts, the case, the evidence, the witnesses, all new. In other words, when you and I went to law school, Bill, and prosecutors got a conviction, then it went to the Court of Appeal, and it matriculated through an appellate process. That's no longer true in California. We are relitigating cases that are 20 30 years old Okay, and, and with it's that- all retroactive, Bill. It's retroactive.
0: All right. Now we're talking about sentencing and uh, we're that, and then the argument is, let me throw a couple things, then we're going to take a break and then I want you to come back is uh, I'm going to throw at you number one, overcrowding. Is that still the case? Uh, number two, uh, in terms of uh, prison sentences versus rehabilitation, uh, I happen to be a big fan of, uh, well, frankly, uh, punishment for people uh, I like retribution. I think when you have some of these heinous people, particularly in front of parole boards, and talk about rehabilitation, I think that's crapola. I'm not interested in rehabilitating a guy who's killed people or who has uh, held guns to people's head and gotten all their money and threatened to kill them. But I want you to, to deal with those two, and that is overcrowding and the concept of rehabilitation because I think that's the philosophy the legislature had, Correct. I
1: totally agree with you and I'm happy to address all of that. So,
0: would you would you discuss overcrowding and rehabilitation because I'm thinking those are the two big reasons they're doing this.
1: Yeah, so I'm going to address all that. So, I at the first segment, Bill, I asked you if you felt safer. You said no, and I said, "Are you safer?" and you said no. And that's because we have plenty of prison op- opportunities now and we're not using them. If you recall, the governor is touting the fact he's closing state prisons. We are closing state prisons. When I was in the legislature, Bill, and we had overcrowding, I was contracting with out-of-state prisons to make sure no one got released early. Let's talk about punishment. You may have read in the paper that I fought the release of Maniscalco. He was a Hessian motorcycle gang member, a lawyer in Westminster, founded the Hessian motorcycle gang, and he killed three people. One of them was a police officer's daughter who he raped and then murdered. And he got out because he's been uh, deemed to have terminal cancer. So now if you have terminal cancer, they're going to let you out of prison uh, to live out your life, and that's outrageous to me. If you kill people, you should die in prison okay. if that's what your sentence is. All right. Let so, me
0: let me throw something at you right back. This is where you and I disagree completely. Uh, letting people out of prison on the compassionate release uh, because they're uh, they're dying or within six months or a year, whatever uh, the uh, the philosophy or whatever the formula is, Man, what it costs to keep people alive in their last year is astronomical.
1: And really, Bill? What does it cost when you're the uh, decedent's uh, uh, parent or sibling no, under- or whatever, no, I under- right? I
0: understand, but the argument is going to be the guy is dying He's certainly no longer a risk. He's done, I mean, when you're talking about someone being let out for uh, compassion, you're talking about probably decades in prison. I'm just throwing back at you just on behalf of the taxpayer. Do I want to see him die in prison? Yes, I do. Does it cost us a fortune? I believe in the death penalty. It's too expensive. That's the problem.
1: Okay, but Bill, let me tell you, when he gets out and he went to San Jose, you think he's not on Medicare or Medi-Cal? You don't think the taxpayers are going to pay for that uh, uh, his death and whatever he's what services he's going to yeah. get, we always pay bill. Yeah. But can I just refocus real quickly please, cause I want to I want to talk about this grant. I don't know if you re- you studied in law school what's called the felony murder rule. Absolutely, that's when you know five guys go to a bank. The guy outside in the getaway car doesn't go in. They kill the bank teller. the The getaway driver could be charged with felony murder. In other words, a, fe- a murder occurred during the course of a robbery. That is called felony murder. The legislature took that away, Bill. So when we have gang members who go and shoot a gang member, we prove that the shooter has the intent to kill. We've always proven that the other gang members or the other bank robbers, it was a natural and probable consequence of the crime that a murder might occur. That is a legal theory that exists all over the United States and in common law and in California. The legislature took that away. I have had to resentence and... Analyze 600 of those convictions and go back 10, 20, 30 years to look at those. Those have all been reopened in California, and I have not one dime to fight those releases, Bill. What I'm telling you in conclusion, why do you think we have all these burglars? Why all these robberies? Why do you turn on KCAL 9 every night and see Pursuits? Why do we have all these home burglaries? Why are people crashing into our businesses and stealing $100,000 Louis Vuitton purses? It's who do you think these people are, Bill? Guess what? They're all these people we're letting out early and we're not serving their sentence.
0: Okay, but that is a a very general concept. And by the way, when I told you uh, I don't feel safer, I don't. That is subjective. When When you asked me, am I safer? I said, I'm not. That was just a visceral uh, reaction, just an immediate reaction. How are the stats? Uh, Are uh, burglaries up? Uh, Are those people that are released from prison under what uh, is happening now? Are they, what's the recidivism rate on those? If you look at hard facts, what are we looking at? If there are any out there?
1: Oh my God, Bill, I can give you all those hard facts and I'm telling you, crime is up and we all know it. That's why you don't feel safe and you're not safer. I have almost 100 individuals in Orange County Jail right now that we have pending charges on for burglaries, okay? We are catching these people who are going into people's homes. Burglaries in Orange County are out of control. You know when I ran for re-election in June, my slogan was no Los Angeles in Orange County. I won by 41%, right? My margin was a 41% margin. People don't want to... Orange County, I can only speak for my county. They don't want to be L.A. or San Francisco. San Francisco doesn't want to be San Francisco. They recalled Chesa Bodine. Bill, it's out of control. And the perception that you're not safe and the fact that we have so many victims and so many people in jail charged with these serious crimes who have prior criminal records and should have been in prison. What about the deputy sheriff that was killed in uh, Riverside County by a felon? Who Who had been convicted of three strikes and the judge didn't bring him in? Come on, Bill, it's out of control, which is exactly what you led before I was on about DeSanti's being here from Florida saying, this place is horrible. You need to take it back.
0: Uh, as well, that's interesting. but we passed uh, prop forty seven, for example. I mean, this is a we are a society that is now looking at rehabilitation. We're looking at, uh, there is Well, that's the other thing that I have a real hard time with, that a lot of these people have value. I'm not necessarily on that in that position. Uh, let's talk about how far we've gone. And, and going back in history, when did it actually work for you on your philosophy?
1: When did this change? What, you mean the, the, this whole craziness? Yeah, yeah, the, the, cra- yeah the craziness it, as you described. Okay, that, so I didn't make my point, and I apologize. When I was in the legislature from 2002 to 2008, In the mid-2000s, I chaired the prison committee and I was on the public safety committee. We had overcrowding. That became the hook for the liberals and the progressives to use that as an excuse to pass these policies of early release credits, eliminating the felony murder rule. This is what they now use as their hook with the overriding excuse in the background of prison overcrowding to make it a legitimate reason in the public perception when it's not legitimate at all, because we don't any longer have prison overcrowding, but they still are passing these policies.
0: All right, Todd. Uh, thank you. We could go on forever. Uh, <laughs> yes, it's always free. All right. Take care, Todd. <laughs> bye, you know, Bill. Bye. Thanks. All right. Even though uh, Todd ran as a nonpartisan for the district attorney's office Uh guess which party he was with when he ran for the legislature. Yeah, uh, Todd is, can't say it, but let's say uh, he uh, did not vote for Bill Clinton. That's my guess. Never told me who he uh, voted for. The other big story that we are covering, our local story, which has been going on for, what, a week and a half already, uh, is what's happening in San Bernardino. And it's still there. I mean, I I watch the national news, as you know, And uh, every evening and it's still uh, right up there in terms of coverage what's happening in San Bernardino. Uh, So we have Blake Trolley who's been covering the story for us. Uh, Blake, uh, good morning and what is the latest there?
2: Yeah, Bill. So we were giving an, given an update yesterday that 80% of county maintained roads throughout the San Bernardino are now passable throughout the mountains. In the Lake Arrowhead and Crestline area, those were the areas particularly hit hard. That number drops down to 60%. Now, passable does not mean the road is wide open, but rather at least one lane is open with less than eight inches of snow, which can be driven by a four wheel drive vehicle with chains. Uh, State, county, and private crews have been working around the clock to clear these roads. As you remember, on friday we were told chains were coming in to get some of these private companies up the hill newsom's emergency allowed private companies to come in but the big issue was many of them were not equipped with the chains to get their loaders up the hill and start digging out this snow and it's on saturday there was an expected delivery of those chains it sounds like that delivery was made, people in the area reported to me they noticed a, you know, a, a much heavier presence of crews working on these roads. Now, clearing out these roads, builds come with challenges. San Bernardino County Public Works Director Brendan Biggs broke those down.
0: As we were able to dig out and start assessing more as we get back into those roads, we're experiencing uh, many different types of issues. Disabled cars, down utility lines, fallen trees.
2: Now, I've been told a lot of people, I've actually been shown photos of this. People, Bill, have actually been spray painting where their car is buried with snow. They've been spray painting like car in the snow because loaders and plows have been nailing cars that were stranded and left in the snow and then ended up getting buried. Um, National guard members and Cal guard members have been shoveling out homes. Uh, County firefighters have been shoveling homes, removing snow from roofs. As we've heard, people's roofs have been collapsing over the weekend. I was sent a photo of an old, uh, hair salon. It's been closed for some time now, but I mean, it is just down to ruins. Sheriff deputies have been running ready to eat meals to people. These are people who can't get out of their homes. They've helped more than 20 people get to shelters. But Bill, it seems it seems many people are still feeling challenged. You know, they're still feeling the challenges and it begs the question, does even more help need to arrive? This man who lives in Cedar Pines Park says, yeah, the roads might be passable, but the moving of the snow to the side of the road has him stuck at home.
3: Snow snowplows that come through push the snow to the side of the road, and it creates a large mound that then freezes. And uh, somebody who's uh, 64 years old like I am, uh, I'm not going to be able to get out there and chip away at a four-foot-deep wall of ice. Yeah.
1: And so then he the, says
2: he uh, stuck uh, many others as well. Sorry.
0: Yeah, no, uh, Blake, uh, yeah, and the question I have, and uh, there's been a lot of criticism of uh, uh, about the authorities not doing enough. And, for example, uh, this gentleman said, oh, the snow is being pushed off. What, what is the alternative? Where does the snow go? I mean, I would think uh, you can plow uh, snow off to the side, but then to pick it up and take it someplace becomes an astronomical feat that is simply unable to be done.
2: Yeah, well, that's where you, you, you really got to ask, are there enough resources up there? I mean, because just, and, and again, you know, this is, I'm just thinking out loud here. You could maybe have a crew that goes by and make sure, yeah, okay, the snow's been pushed to the side of the road. Now we've got another crew that'll come and dig out those those berms and get people you know, out of their homes because they're getting these walls of snow developed in front of their in front of their homes. And I, it, sa- it seems to me there needs to be more personnel or at least people feel this way. There needs to be more personnel to come clear those berms, especially for people like, as he says, he's 64 years old and he says many other people are in the same situation. Now, also, Bill, he says passable roads and I, I want to go to this. He says passable roads, you know, even if he could get out, there would still be uh, issues on the horizon.
3: There are a number of people that are running out of food and the, the roads are quote passable. Yeah, if you've got a four wheel drive with chains. And if that is the case, uh, there is one supermarket still open up here on the hill out in Lake Arrowhead, which is quite a drive uh, in a four wheel drive truck with uh, the ice and snow and one lane roads. Um, the local supermarket for Crestline Uh, had the entire roof collapse. So that store is closed. Uh, To get down the hill to another supermarket, either Costco or Stater Brothers, what have you, uh, you can get down the hill. They'll let you drive down. The CHP is not letting people drive back up. Hmm. So load your car with groceries down there, great. You're not
0: getting home. Uh, that's a serious problem.
2: And I have seen other reports of people dealing with that mm-hmm. issue where they come down the hill and they, they get stuck.
0: So, Blake, uh, are the authorities uh, providing food? I heard that uh, that there were uh, the ready-to-eat meals being delivered. But is there a concerted, big-time effort to make sure that every house that is, uh, in fact, in case of snow and people can't get out, are be- food is being delivered?
2: Yeah, so so the with with, with the ready to eat meals, those are specifically for people who can't get down to these distribution sites which have been set up. So they identify people who again can't get down to these general areas where people have been going to get food, um, and that's where the ready to eat meals come in. So yes, there has been an effort to get food to those people, but you know the county has set up a distribution hot or a, uh, a donation hotline for people to donate. And I had so I had asked this man. and I want to go to this as well. Well, um, because, again, we've seen there's several distribution sites right. for people to get supplies. Yeah, Blake,
0: we have to go. We don't have the time. on OK, well, essentially,
2: he says these distribution sites are getting picked, uh, you know, pretty quickly. Yeah, I'll and, bet. So.
0: All right, Blake, thank you. I'm going to be covering this for the rest of the day. I'm going to give you a California story because uh, yeah, I'll tell you, you this story wouldn't uh, happen in a South Dakota talk station and it wouldn't be happening in Texas. And it certainly wouldn't be happening in Florida, but it does happen in California. So there is a support group, actually a combination support and exercise kind of thing, and it's called a gather. It's a new startup uh, called Peoplehood. And what is the gather about? Well, the gather starts as a big group, and the members uh, start with breathing exercises first and then listen to a little bit of music, and then share one thing that feels true to them. Okay, already we're on the slippery slope of ridiculous. Okay, what's true to you? When anybody asks me what's true to them, I'll go, you're about to say something ridiculous, aren't you? So uh, one member, and this is a story of, uh, a Times reporter actually went to one of these. One member says, here's my truth, my hangover gets worse as I age. Thank you very much. And then everybody else gets into this and starts talking about their truism and it ranges all the way from stuff like this to I'm feeling really lonely. Uh, I'm battling, my, my in-laws battling cancer. I'm having a hard time dealing with it. Okay, that I'll buy is, um, uh, is is a problem. I mean, that's getting pretty deep. So then everybody is paired off uh, and that's random and they have brief one-on-one sessions with assigned Prompts. Now, what is a prompt? (laughs) Well, what peoplehood does is it keeps these, quote, gatherers uh, casual and upbeat and sets the tone for topics to be discussed. Uh, Problems like indecisiveness when scanning a menu. Do I want the burger Uh, or do I want the short ribs? Oh, I can't take it. And someone just melts. Uh, DoorDash reliance guilt. Okay. That's a new guilt. Uh, being excited for a future concert. I mean, who isn't that wants to pay money for a concert? And occasionally someone gets really more emotional. Now, the co-founder of Peoplehood, uh, Julie Rife, said, this is peer-to-peer support. It is not therapy. Yeah, you're not therapists. So uh, she and her co-founder, Elizabeth Cutler, I mean, they're interesting people. They um, founded uh, something that was called Soul Cycle. You remember that? soul cycle they created it and sold it to Equinox. All right they made some money there and so now they're applying this expertise as they uh, that they built up into community building uh, quote social wellness and peoplehood their new company is in beta in the beta testing mode and it's uh, about to launch where oh I don't know how about Los Angeles and New York uh It will not be launching in Montana. And Rice describes peoplehood as a connection product. You know, it almost seems to me like um, uh, Weight Watchers. They don't actually sell anything. They really don't. You pay money to show up and put yourself on a scale and to talk to people and to be told you're a terrific human being. How big was Weight Watchers? I mean, didn't Oprah buy 10% of it for some astronomical fee? All right. So it's it's this is actually Weight Watchers, but social Weight Watchers. So there's a whole group of uh, for-profit group gathering companies. And what they're trying to do is remedy something that's legitimate. And that's the loneliness epidemic or the friendship recession. You know what? I'll buy that. I'll buy that. But you know... Here's an easier way of doing it. Join a club. Go on the internet. Meet people. Just don't do it on Grinder. Uh, that That's a problem. And you don't want to meet people and sell things on Craigslist and go to their house. That's a problem. But you know what? It's, doesn't this seem ridiculous? It does to me, except... When you look at the underlying issues here, Rice and Cutler say they spent three years studying religious, fitness, alcoholics, anonymous, speaking with psychologists, spiritual leaders, doctors, professors, across an entire range of disciplines. More than a thousand people participated in the beta testing. Hmm. So when they hire guides, if you want to be a guide, you have to be an empath. Empath. Because the guides for these gatherers have to be empaths. And according to uh, Rice and Cutler, are put through a rigorous training program. What the hell is that? Well, they were asked. Uh, No comment on that one. Now, uh, do you need something like this? I mean, as much fun as I'm making of this, I mean, there really is an underlying issue going on. Uh, And according to the Morning Consul survey, which I'm buying, nearly 60% of U.S. adults feel lonely. Yep, I'll buy that. Uh, Women are slightly lonelier than men. Young adults twice as likely to be lonely than seniors. Don't know why. These are just stats. Looking into it, maybe seniors have had a lifetime of dealing with loneliness and they've gotten better at it. Almost 80% of Americans between the ages of 18 and 24 report feeling lonely. I'll buy that. Well, look what the pandemic did. You talk about loneliness. My God, during the pandemic, when I wasn't seeing anybody, when uh, I wasn't talking to anybody or, you know, social going to, I wasn't going to restaurants or anything, uh, you know, was I lonely? Well, yeah, but then I never did that anyway. So it's just, uh, I'm basically lonely to begin with. But a lot of people were truly affected by this, and the loneliness factor really hit hard. And there, uh, a lot of people and should be are blaming the recession, if not for causing loneliness, certainly exacerbating it and putting it way, way over the ledge. So, uh, for some that join these gathers. Uh, it's not that they don't have enough friends, but they aren't satisfied with the level of social engagement. They're not satisfied with their friends. Uh, a third, uh, of adults, lonely adults report talking to their family or partner about how they feel quite a bit or a lot. And the problem is an empath is going to understand and not say what I would say, suck it up. Put your big boy pants on. By the way, am I even allowed to say that? Or is that considered sexist? Put your big boy pants on. Don't even know anymore. And so, you know, what is this about? I'll tell you what it's about. It's about a couple of very smart people uh, figuring out how to monetize people's loneliness. And it just, I got to tell you, I, um, you know, I, I happen to think these people are really, really smart. And they're moving into corporate America, too. I mean, if you're going to do this for people, why not doing corporate America and get General Motors or get Apple to pay you big bucks for doing this? So if you read or want to go into a gatherer and have an empath help you out, it's just a lot cheaper than therapy. Oh, it's still money. It'll cost you a couple hundred dollars a month. But at least you're not spending all this time, all this money on um on uh, psychological therapy, on real therapy, which costs buckets of money. Though, you know, the way therapy is done today, how many different ways are there of engaging in therapy? Okay, it is time on a Monday uh, morning, our last two segments for Do They Have a Case with Wayne Resnick? <laughs> It is time for Do They Have a Case with Wayne and with me. Wayne, how long have we been doing this? Do they have a case?
4: Four years?
0: That's it? Maybe five? Anyway, I don't know who came up with the idea, but it's always a lot of fun for, oh, Michelle did? Good for Michelle. And it all has to do with how much I don't know about the law. Because if you don't listen to Handle on the law on Saturdays, 8 to 11, uh, and you miss how little I know about the law on Saturday, you get it right here on Mondays. And do they have a case involve Wayne researching cases? I haven't heard of them before, nor of you. And usually it's an appellate court decision. And Wayne goes, which way do the courts go or which way should they go? And I'm hitting about 80%, which Mm -hmm. is pretty good that I'm right with the appellate court. And I would say uh, about 10% it could have gone either way where it's just makes, you know, come on, really? And about 10% I'm just dead ass wrong. Which is uh, accurate. If people are expecting the same level of disaster
4: that they might hear on a Saturday on uh, Handle on the Law, if they're expecting that here, that's not really what happens. You're actually pretty good. Yeah,
0: unfortunately, Handle on the Law is fine because I'll have people who will call and ask me about a very complicated case. And I will talk about statutes. And the changing of statutes and the way the courts have interpreted the various courses. And then the legislature came back and I'll get, really? I go, no, I just made that up. You want legal advice? Go to a real lawyer, not to a radio lawyer. Okay, uh, let's move on. Do they have a case?
4: Wayne. All right, to get into this case, I want to read the first two sentences of the appellate opinion because they're pretty good. Being deluged with spam telemarketing phone calls or text messages is the bane of modern life. Back in 1991, when the equivalent of a smartphone was a brick-sized phone held by the likes of Gordon Gecko, Congress enacted the Telephone Consumer Protection Act. That's how we get into this case of a man who sues an insurance company for sending him what he said were spam texts in violation of the Telephone Consumer Protection Act, because he said they were using an auto dialer to do it, which is forbidden by the act. So this is a case that actually it's very Clinton-esque. It hinges on the question, when is an auto dialer an auto dialer? And I think let's just dispense with this. The first thing you probably want to know is what's the definition of of automatic telephone dialing system in the statute, and it is equipment which has the capacity to store or produce telephone numbers to be called using a random or sequential number generator and to dial such numbers.
0: Ah, okay. So now uh, yeah. here's,
4: here's what here's the thing.
0: Yeah, we have, do we, have we, we have one minute, then we're gonna take a break and come back. So okay, you tra- you time this.
4: He said what they were doing is. They were using a machine to generate a number. That number would be used to determine the order in which the text would be sent. That's an auto dialer. And the insurance company says, What are you talking about? You have to generate a telephone number. That's the only thing that's illegal, generating a telephone number. We were generating internal numbers that we were then using to select pre-existing telephone numbers that we had in our system so it doesn't meet the definition cuz we weren't generating telephone numbers we were generating other kinds of numbers so you'll have to decide
1: yeah were
0: they using an auto dialer yeah. or not all right a couple of things about this this is one where depending on the uh the the outlook of a judge on life in general and how specific a judge wants to uh, rule. And it's almost uh, the difference between originalists and uh, those that believe the Constitution is this breathing document. And so here's where I'm going to go. And I don't know which way the court went. I'm going to guess uh, that it went one way or the other. If you have law that is very specific and there's any – uh 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 different way, what's the word, a variation of the law or deviation of the law, in any small matter, uh, a judge will say it has to be specific. You have to look at exactly what the language means, and according to the language of uh, what is an auto dialer, they have an argument that it is not. If you look at the very, very specifics, then you have judges that'll go, come on, really? Really? You know, this is effectively an auto dialer. If it looks like a duck and talks like a duck and quacks like a tuck duck, it's a duck. Even though, well, maybe it's not a duck. And uh, so that was a horrible analogy I just made, by the way. Uh, so the bottom line is it depends on what the appeals court said with specificity. And I am going to argue, and I may be wrong because this is a wobbler, that uh, the definition of of a auto dialer uh is, I guess, broad enough, even that the court will say, uh, come on, this is what it means. So let me go to the other way, uh, that the argument that it is so specific and so minute that that isn't enough, that we have to look at it with some kind of reasonableness. That's the way I'm going to go. Come on, guys. You know, how far are you going to go? So I'm saying the court, uh, in fact, Uh, ruled for the plaintiff in this case.
4: Using more of a common sense approach rather than a hyper-technical approach. Okay, well put. That is, yes. Okay, so you tell me which approach they took Uh, when I read one little part from their decision. Did they get hyper-technical or common sense? Here we go. When interpreting a modifying clause set off by commas, the most natural way to view the modifier is as applying to the entire preceding clause. That's pretty hyper-technical. Yeah. They went hyper-technical. They
0: went hyper-technical. I told they, they could have gone either way. The
4: first time the, the phrase is used, it says telephone numbers. Therefore, any time after that, under what they thought were the rules of grammatical construction, anytime the word number appears in the act, it's a telephone number, not any other kind of number. And the other guy was arguing for the common sense approach, but he uh, he lost.
0: Now, uh, you did a much better job, by the way, of uh, explaining it than I did Uh, real quickly, just uh, so people can know how crazy the law is. Uh, There was a case that I was actually involved in and it was a two week trial. And it just ended uh, a few weeks ago. Most of the trial was actually predicated on a comma that was in one sentence, which was basically the heart of the entire issue. I'm not saying it was just some dumb sentence that was thrown out there. It was the heart, the interpretation. But it was a comma that was either there or not there. And the comma was there. And that's what uh, the court was looking at. So you talk about hyper because that can, can change uh, language completely and change cases. Okay, let's yeah. uh, move on. All right, we can do this one
4: pretty quickly. This has to do with the fine people of Switzerland and France wanting to register the name for cheese, Gruyere, wanting to register it with the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, so that the word could only be used in the United States to refer to such cheese made in Switzerland or in France. And the patent office said, no, 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 no. Gruyere does not, it, it's a type of cheese. Nobody thinks it means where it came from. They, they think it means what kind of cheese is it. So we're not going to allow you. And they sued, France and Switzerland, they sued, and it went up to the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals And, you know, one argument is, uh, it's so, it started in Gruyere, Switzerland, and we need to protect the integrity of the origin of the cheese, so we should be allowed to register it. And the other side is saying, hey, Gruyere cheese is like cheddar cheese, is like Swiss cheese, to name Mm. another cheese that is actually named after a place, just like Gruyere is and, it, and nobody thinks anything otherwise, so you're not allowed to have the protection. Are they allowed to have the protection or
0: not? Okay, the analogy here is to Champagne. Okay? Oh. All right? However, here's the difference. Everybody knows that Champagne comes from the Champagne region of France. Everybody. How many people know that Gruyere comes from Gruyere, France? Switzerland. Switzerland, whatever the hell. I don't even know where Gruyere comes from. It comes from somewhere over there. The point is... I guess,
4: you know what? It's a region that apparently is partly in both of those countries.
0: Okay, to to whatever extent. So I think what the court said was, uh, unlike champagne, although I don't know uh, any idea of what they mentioned, champagne, was that Gruyere cheese in the States is known as a cheese. There is no connection to any place. Americans don't think that way. So therefore... To Americans, Gruyere cheese is a type of cheese, not a brand or a name brand of cheese. I think the Gruyere people lost. They did. And I will leave you with
4: a sentence from this decision, because we had some really interesting writers. Like a fine cheese. No, let me start again. Like a fine <laughs> cheese, this case has matured and is ripe for our review Wrote Chief District Judge uh, Roger Gregory, in the opinion, telling France and Switzerland to uh,
0: go stuff it. Uh, How often do... uh, I'm assuming the judges must have a rip-roaring good time when writing these decisions, where a judge just loves it. They're all over the map. They're judges whose decisions are so
4: boring and dry all the time. And then there are other judges. They put all of their creativity into those decisions and that's why sometimes it actually is thrilling to read a judicial decision cuz it's like a, it's like an essay a comedic essay
0: that sounds so like So it just
4: depends on who you got
0: and uh, when you uh, uh, and you're handed a decision uh, you know exactly which judge is going to be rip-roaringly entertaining oh they get reputations absolutely all right all right We'll talk again tomorrow. Uh, Wayne, we'll catch you in the morning. All right, see you tomorrow. Coming up, Gary and Shannon. And
2: uh, Gary, what do you have going? Well, we're going to talk about what Ron DeSantis said. He was in California yesterday and uh, how Gavin Newsom decided to slap back at him. Also, Justin Finch from ABC News is going to join us. We'll talk about what Congress is doing. Now that we found out that there are two or three derailments every day. Gary and Shannon will come up right after the news. You've been
0: listening to The Bill Handel Show. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. and anytime on demand on the iHeartRadio app.